All right, well, let's uh, go ahead and pray, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time, another time to reflect on uh, these different doctrines that we understand in our systematic theology, uh, things that we believe that the Bible teaches that we can uphold with other believers. And so we're thankful for the confession of faith. Lord, help us as we seek to get into chapter 5 and uh, better understand your providence and how you work all things for your good, for our good and your glory. And uh, Lord, help us to rest in those things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're starting a, a new chapter. I want to review a little bit where we've been because as you're going to start to see in this paragraph, there's words that are connected. There's a lot of things where the confession uh, builds up on itself from what it's already said. And so I want to just kind of review where we've been, and then we'll get into paragraph one. I'm only going to do paragraph one, so if we need to end a little early, then that'll be fine as well, and, uh, and we'll do that. So let's look at uh, just kind of reviewing from the beginning. We start off with Holy Scriptures. Again, remember, why do we start off with the Scriptures and not the traditional doctrine of God? like other systematic theologies would. Right. And so we have to know, if we're deriving everything we say about what we believe about God and, and all those things, we have to first put down and, and affirm what do we believe about the Bible. What do we, how, where do we derive its, uh, the source of truth for it? Where are we getting our information? What is our thoughts on it? And from there, we can understand why we build certain information from that, derive certain information from the Word. So first off, we start off, rather than doctrine of God, we start off with of the Holy Scriptures. And so we have learned that the Scriptures are sufficient uh, for saving faith, knowledge, life, obedience. Paragraph 2 told us that we have what the, the new, what the Bible is, where you have Old Testament, New Testament, the books. Paragraph 3, what the Bible is not, right, the Apocrypha. Um, from there, we see how it was derived. It was derived uh, through the Holy Spirit, on, uh, through the human instruments as well. We have the testimony of the scriptures uh, that reveal man's salvation for us. It reveals the plan of God and how he's going to accomplish those things. The gospel's plain as well. We see uh, much more a lot in light of the scriptures, how the Old Testament came together in languages, why it's necessary to translate as well. And so there's a lot we see in paragraph one. We see that scripture alone is the supreme judge of all things, uh, whether controversies or religion. There, we come to the, to the scriptures. So we don't base anything on tradition or those kind of things for our sole authority. Scripture alone has, has the primary authority. Um, so everything we're deriving is basically from the scriptures. And there's 10 paragraphs. We went in detail about that. So you can Go back and look at some of those as well um, on what we see about the scriptures. This paragraph two talked about then of God, right? And so not mainly, not only do we think of God the Father, but we think of God in terms of Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So what we see in paragraph one and paragraph two of, of that is who do we believe this God is? How does he operate? Um, how is he different from us and similar to us in different ways? The incommunicable attributes, communicable attributes, uh, a lot there about who God is. And then in paragraph 3, we learn that this God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's in Trinity. right? 
And the reason that's important is because paragraph 1 and 2, everything that can be said about uh, the Father can be said about the Son and the Holy Spirit as in light of paragraphs 1 and 2. But in paragraph 3, they do have different roles in how they function. right? And so we see that within you know, Ephesians 1 and, and different things like that where we see um, how God is the one who elects, how the, the Son is the one who redeems, the Holy Spirit then is the one who applies the work right, and seals us with the benefits of Christ. From there we got into God's decree. Okay? So now we understand who God is, we understand what the Bible is, and how we understand all that. Then God's decree. What is God's decree? If we were just to remind ourselves of what does decree mean? Yeah, you can see it as his plan, right? Now, in light of his decree, can we say, is that in, in light of, when, when did that occur? Right. And that's important because we're going to see the connection with this in light of providence. Because providence and decree are very, uh, very much related, right? And so it's important to understand decree, right? God's plan before the foundations of the world where he's going to orchestrate all things and govern, govern these things. And so he makes a plan. Um, it's, not, it's not dependent on you know, foreseeing down the corridors of time and deciding what's going to happen so that he elects that way. No, he makes a plan before anything ever happened. Um, he didn't create because he had any need or anything. Um, he created out of his love and joy um, and his good pleasure. So God's decree here, we see his plan. Then uh, what we see here in the light of these paragraphs, we see how does he relate to man as well. He predestines man before the foundations of the world, and he also uh, those who would choose Christ, um, whom he has chosen in Christ, he predestined before the foundation of the world as well. So we have elect, where he predestines into glory. And then the flip side of that, what did we call that? I remember the, the word. What's the flip side of election unto glory? I heard it. Someone said yeah, um, re- retrobation. Maybe I didn't hear it. Uh, retrobation. Kind of uh, where you, he, he leaves some in their own uh, depravity. He chooses some for election, for glory. The others he leaves into uh, their state that they were in. They're still fully responsible for all those things, as we've seen. Um, and so we hear predestination, and you know sometimes we, we squirm at those things. But in light of the doctrine of... Uh, God's decree, we can understand that God is good, He is holy, He is righteous, He doesn't, He's not the author of sin or evil. And in light of those things, we see just how He makes His plan. Um, from there, once there's a plan, now He has to put the plan in motion, right? So we get to chapter 4, which starts with creation. So remember, the plan occurs outside of time and space. And now in creation, now we have time and space coming into existence. So we can say creation is the initiation of God's decree um, as he starts his plan, the outworking of his plan. Uh, Creation, the initiation of the decree. In relation to providence, providence is then the continual outworking of that decree. So creation, um, 
We see it's from the beginning that God created all things. He made male and female after his image. He gave them a law. He made them in righteousness and holiness to image that, right? Um, there's no room for, for evolution here. He creates all things, and he creates, we saw, in the space of six days, all very good. Um, he also, we also see that the law was written on the hearts of mankind, and it's through that that uh, they understood what was to, uh, how they were to image God. But also, we also see that they had the possibility of failing as well, which we know they did. And then as a result, they ushered in sin for the rest of mankind. Um, any questions? I know there was a very brief flyover, and we've spent lots of weeks on these four chapters. Any questions on just some of these things we've looked at before we dive into divine providence? Okay, let's go ahead and get into chapter 5 here. Um, Just a side note, too. uh, I had you guys, uh, I mentioned a book last time. Uh, Luke, what's the title of that book? Uh, Which one? Yeah. Apparently it's the first one. Yeah, what's the title? Okay, so it's First London. So the class symbolics that I took with Dr. Renahan, he, it, it comprised of First London and Second London. It's called Symbolics, and what he does there is he goes through it, and it's kind of like a, um, a class ex- exposition of the confession, I guess you could say. And so he goes through First London. Now, the book we mentioned is actually First London, and if you got it, that's still good. We're going to go through First London eventually. Um, right now, we're, going, we're looking at Second London. So the book on that hasn't come out yet. It's, it's in the process. Uh, the one for that is, if you wanted to, is this one I mentioned last time, An Exposition of 1689 by Sam Waldron. And that's one that I use uh, that's very helpful, as well as my notes, which will eventually be on that Symbolics book, that volume two. Once he, it might be several volumes, because it's a lot more than uh, the first London. So just be aware of that. If you bought it and seeing that... Um, it was First London. <laughs> so I started reading it, and I was like, wait a second, Luke. This is the First London. And so, anyways, it's a good resource, and it builds off of, we can see how our confession has um, built off of what was originally written in the First London as well, and how they, uh, how they meshed some of those things together, where they kept some of the wording. And we've already seen a lot of that in the first four paragraphs. So it's good to go back and see some of the exact wording that we see that the Baptists inserted into the second London. Okay, so let's look at chapter 5. Um, before we read the paragraph, I want to just kind of give an introduction on chapter 5. Uh, this is dealing with providence. Providence means to see beforehand. Um, now, it doesn't mean that it, you know, it looks down the corridors of time or anything. It just has a forehand kind of knowledge, right? Um, it flows out of divine decree. And that's why I wanted to kind of review a little bit because in the, the divine decree is the plan that God orchestrates. Creation is the initiation of that plan. Providence is then the preservation and governance of that plan throughout creation. Right? So if God, create, if God made a plan to send his son into the world to redeem uh, an elect people, as we see in the decree, well, he promises in Genesis 3.15 that he's going to send a seed that will crush the serpent's head. Right? Well, that seed line has to be preserved until the Messiah comes, and then the number of elect has to be uh, one, and so God is preserving and governing his creation for his whole plan to come out and, and take place. So providence, we can understand, is that 
preserving and governance of the plan. Um, in our confession, uh, this word is used to refer to the ongoing work of God, uh, which depends on the creation, his creation and decree. Uh, it expresses uh, his continuing act of divine power over these things so, and maintenance of it. So God doesn't just create and say, okay, I'm just going to let go and see what happens. He doesn't just spin the top and initiates it. He's orchestrating all things according to his plan, right? He's, he's actively governing and preserving every little thing, and providence is how we understand that. So, so we would say uh, we don't believe in luck, right? We believe in providence. Uh, luck is just like these you know, random chances. If you have an a, a, a understanding of who God is and his plan and everything, really luck doesn't fit into those things. We would rather say, okay, this is according to his providence, right? Um, so it's, it expresses his continued divine power and maintenance over all things. According to his wisdom, uh, he, he accomplishes this, and, and he's faithful as he orchestrates his plan of redemption throughout time. So I want to understand it this way. Sam Waldron points this out. He says, the decree, we can understand, is the blueprint or the plan. Providence is that which excites the plan in motion. Decree takes place in eternity. Providence takes place in time and history. Okay? So providence doesn't cease when the world is created, uh, but it exists in the real world. Is there a question? Uh, Okay, yeah. Uh, So he says a lot more. I just kind of sum it up in my wording, but I'm going to, you know, it's from Sam Waldron. Uh, basic, uh, here it is, I'll just read the whole thing. The decree is the blueprint or plan. Providence carries out the blueprint or plan, guiding the actual course of history. The decree takes place in eternity. Providence takes place in history. So, I summed it up as, dec- decree is the blueprint. Providence excites the plan in motion. Decree is eternity. Providence takes place in time and history. Okay. Providence is that which sustains, governs the world, um, and directs the world. So it acknowledges it's all from God. God didn't just randomly you know, say, okay, let there be the world, and I'm going to go off and do my own thing and come back and check on him every now and then. No, he's governing every little thing. So chapter 5 is dealing with this doctrine of divine providence, and we're just going to look at chap, uh, paragraph one today. Um, and this is the, just the providence doctrine uh, stated. So what is, what is providence, basically? And then the other paragraphs that flow out of this are going to elaborate more on this. So we're just going to look at that, maybe dive into paragraph two, um, probably just one. So let's read this. It says, God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite and wisdom... Doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, to the end for which they were created, according unto his infallible knowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy." Okay, now, I have an outline here that is basically reflecting of what uh, Waldron does here, and it's very 
helpful, so I'm not going to reinvent anything here. I'm just going to state what he says here. Um, And he, he basically has eight points. He would divide the chapter into eight points, or the paragraph here. First, we see the author of Providence. Then we see the foundation of Providence. From there, we'll see the essence of Providence, the objects of Providence, the nature of Providence, the compatibility of Providence, and the causes, the determining causes of God's Providence, and then the goal. So author, essence, object, nature, compatibility, causes, and goal. Okay, so we'll go through those here. So first off, looking at the author of providence, notice it says, God, the good creator of all things. Okay, So this is going, coming all the way back from chapter, uh, chapter 2 that we just saw, the doctrine of God. Right? It's assuming everything we read in there, that who God is, that God is Trinity. It also assumes, uh, chapter 3, that this God is the one who created all things. This God is the author of providence, not just the Father, it's not just uh, the Spirit, it's the whole Godhead, uh, the Trinity, God the Creator, um, He is also the author of providence. Now there's a subtle change here that the Baptists make from uh, Savoy and Westminster, and uh, Westminster reads this way, it says, God the Great Creator, and the Baptists made a change and said, God the Good Creator. And they want to focus on uh, here, the reason they switched it. It's not that they don't agree that he's great. They do. They just want the emphasis to be on his goodness. Because sometimes when we look at providence, uh, we can easily say God is good when things are easy, when things are going right. But providence also entails the hardships, the trials, the things we may not see as good in those things. But it's God who is still good in the midst of it, because it's his providence. And so the idea of goodness is stressed. You saw it in chapter 4 as well. We're going to see it in paragraph, paragraph 4 and cha- paragraph 7 as well. Um, so we're going to see these things, and we've seen it throughout the confession. And so they're just trying to be a little bit more consistent with what they've already said about who God is. And he's a good God, the good God who created all things. And so uh, it's not that they don't agree that he's great. They do. They just also want to bring it to help us see that he is good, even in the hardships that we encounter in this life. Um, Because God is good, we can infer that providence is good too, right? God is good. Everything he created is good. It was very good, he says. Providence is the outworking of that plan. So we can see that God is good and his providence is good. Uh, Genesis 52, we kind of, uh, 50 verse 20, we see a kind of an example of that, right? When we see Joseph who sold into slavery and they had certain intentions, his brothers, right? That's, that's basically um, uh, like kidnapping and selling them. And, um, and obviously that was a big sin. They were accountable for that sin. They did it according to their sinful hearts. They where they despised Joseph, they're envious of Joseph, and so they got rid of him. And they did it in a way that you know, they thought it was the end of the story. But in God's good providence, he used the evil situations that happened. In the meantime, Joseph isn't, you know, when he's sitting in Potiphar's jail, I'm sure he isn't thinking, uh, this is really good. 
Um, he's going through hardships. He's struggling with the suffering. Why is this happening to me? But at the end of his life, as he's reflecting um, on how God orchestrated all these things, even the, the, the bad things that happened, you know, false accusations that threw him in prison, um, the, the, the baker who forgot, completely forgot about him, uh, all these things that, or the cupbearer, all these things that have happened, um, he looks back on all those things and sees how God worked all those things. And he says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive so as they are today. And so, in God's good providence, even in the midst of the good times when there's plenty and plenty of food, but also in the famine, God's good providence is active and God is still good in the midst of it. And, and Joseph was able to acknowledge that. So, that's why the Baptist, notice, but God meant it for good. So that about many people should be kept alive. So, so the Baptists are just wanting to emphasize, in light of providence, when we think of providence, let's think of God's goodness here. Because we want to see that God is good in all things, in all aspects of life. Any questions on that first sentence? So that's the author of providence. Kevin? Right. And there are times, I think, maybe in our lifetime, we may not see it. We may just have to trust in his overall plan and decree that it is all, he is a good God even in the midst of those things, right? He's redeeming a world that is suffering and going through sinful things. And in that process, we can say he's good. Um, But yeah, it's hard to see the goodness in a lot of the things, the hardships we go through. And so part of that is also just saying, let's be reminded of those things. Let's be reminded of um, God and his promises to us that we can trust in him even when it doesn't seem that, that uh, we understand why. So part of it's embracing it by faith and that he does all things for his glory and our good. And sometimes we may not see the answers like Joseph saw. So, Any other questions? Comments? All right, let's look at the next. We see the foundation of providence. Notice it says, His infinite power and wisdom. His infinite power and wisdom. So this is, this is the foundation here. Um, everything that providence is, I guess you can say built on, is according to God's wisdom and power. He is all wise. Who are we to question? He is all-powerful. He can execute and do these things, right? We think of Psalm 104, verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So we see wisdom and power. If you remember in chapter 4, it's also connected with his creation, right? So it's no surprise that we also see wisdom and power tied into his providence. Uh, Jeremiah 51, 15. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. 
So according to his power and wisdom, he creates all things so he can execute his plan, and it is by his power and wisdom as well that he carries out his decree by providence. So this is a foundation of his wisdom here. Um, so it's infinite power and wisdom. Uh, let's see here. The next one is the essence of providence. The essence of providence here. Notice, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things from the greatest to the least. So the acts here is basically... Um, notice these, these words here really describe preservation, right? Preservation. He upholds, he directs, he disposes, he governs. This is the essence of providence, the essence of providence here. Um, let's see here. I have John 5.17. I didn't put the verse, I didn't put the verses here, so hopefully, let's see. Yeah. My, Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Right? So he's, he's at work all the time, uh, throughout. Uh, and he is working. And the reason is because we see this Trinitarian uh, mode here in providence. And so providence is the working of God, really, uh, to execute the plan. It's according to his power and wisdom. Uh, and he he upholds, right? Uh, we think of let's see um, Hebrews Hebrews one three. Someone have that if they want to read that. Hebrews 1 3. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the work of his power. When hmm. he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice, upholds all things, right? Um, so it's true of the Son, it's true of the Spirit, and it's true of the Father. Uh, Job thirty-eight eleven. Job thirty-eight eleven. You can see how he's kind of executed um, and ordained, governed, right, if you will, um, the waves. And he says, "Thus far you shall come no further, and it is here shall your you, your pound waves be stayed." Um, so Job's here, and he's, remember, question God, and God responds, who are you? Where, where were you when I laid the foundations of the, of the earth? Um, are you the one who tells the waves how far they can go? And In other words, are you the one who governs them, Job? No, obviously it's God who, who directs and disposes and governs all things, not just the creatures who are breathing, but even the laws of nature, right? Waves, gravity, 
uh, speed of light, all these different things God upholds and he governs for the purpose of executing his decree. These are ways by which he governs, um, how he preserves, right? And we can see this ultimately, you know, we can, it's not tied only to this, but you can see this re-emphasis, right, in the Noahic covenant that he's going to uphold the world uh, until his whole plan has been accomplished, right? He promises that he'll never flood again for this purpose, to destroy the whole earth, so that his plan can be executed in time and space and history, and then when everything is done, that's when he will recreate, right, the new heavens, new earth. Um, But providence is what upholds and executes that plan until the time. How he does it? He upholds, directs, disposes, and governs. So those those words there are pretty, pretty helpful for us to to deal with. Um, maybe a few others. Psalm 135.6. Psalm 135.6. And notice it's from the least, from all creatures, from the least of these to the great. These would be the objects of providence here. All creatures here. It's not just limited to humans. All things, the least to the greatest. Um, I believe it was a sprawl who, who brings up, um, he, uh, he builds up on what uh, Abraham Kuyper once said about the, uh, there's not one uh, like rogue molecule out there that God isn't in control of. Well, he, be, he'll be, he builds off of that and would even say, if there was, God would cease to be God. And so he governs all things, even to, that, to the smallest molecule. There is no rogue molecule that goes awry that's outside of his providence. Right? We think of God in control of all things, from the least of these to even the greatest. Right? Even... Uh, the Bible talks about the sparrows and the hairs on our head. Right? Uh, does someone have Psalm 135, verse 6? Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. Yeah, so all areas of his domain, all his creation, he governs. He does what he pleases with that. Then lastly, Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, let's look at verses uh, 10 and 11. I'll go ahead and read that for us. Declaring to the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a birds of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. So God has a purpose, he directs, he governs all things, all creatures, from the man to the bird of prey, to the waves, everything in creation. All right, so that's, we've seen the author of providence, we've seen the foundation, we've seen the essence, the objects. Um, Now the nature here, look at the nature. By his most wise and holy providence to the end for which they were created. So this is, this is really the basis for providence, right? It's his, his most wise and holy providence, right? Here, the confession actually uses the term providence here. And this is, you know, I guess we could say it's a theological word. 
Um, but uh, it's, it's the idea of, of governing and preserving all things to execute his plan. Um, and how he does that, how he does that is through what we call providence. Notice it says, to the end for which they were created. To the end to which they were created. This is, we can say, his compatibility with providence. There is a goal with this. Um, it's to direct them towards their ordained telos. Why, what was the purpose that they were created? Um, it's to direct everything to a, a specific goal. One person says this, God preserves all things immediately. Is, he's the immediate cause for all things that happen. And so God directs, he governs all things, and they all have a specific purpose. God ordains from the beginning of time why he created certain things, why he creates the mountains, why he creates the stars. The Bible gives us ideas, right, for his glory. And so there's a purpose. Now, there might be times where we might not understand the purposes, but we can know it's all uh, for a purpose, and he created them for their ordained purpose. There's a certain uh, goal for which they're created. There's a time frame that he's going to bring it about, right? We see that with, with um, we can say Pharaoh, right? There was a purpose for which he was created, right? God's going to show his glory through him, and he brought him up for specific purpose, um, even though he wasn't one who was redeemed in the end, he was one who rejected God, and he was one who was accountable for his own sin. Yet through that, God displayed many things to the world and to Israel uh, about his character and his redemption. And so everything would have a purpose. Sometimes things are created to show his justice. Sometimes things are cre- created to show his mercy and grace. And so um, God has a purpose for all things for which they are created. Um, and his providence works those out in time and space. So nothing's going to end prematurely according to God's plan. Nothing takes God by surprise. It may take us by surprise at times. We may not understand why things happen, but uh, nothing is a surprise for God because he planned it, not because he foresaw it. Elijah? Free will, yeah. So we talked about that kind of in um, in the creation where he where he uh, put Adam and Eve in the garden. So he creates good, right? And he creates um, with the opportunity for them to choose good and evil. And then, so they they can choose God or not choose God. And what we see that is he created his providence, but he didn't make them robots, right? He didn't say you can only do these things. He allowed them to have a choice in the matter, and they believed a lie rather than the truth. And so in light of that, we're then, you know, there's still a free will, I guess you can say, but now our free will is bound by sin because of the fall. So we're only going to choose that which is according to our nature. But didn't he ordain that for his glory so that he then Right, it's all part of the plan. He knew all those things. There, it is free will, to an extent. Yeah, are you a robot? Did you choose to come here? You you chose according to your own nature, right? 
that was your desire. You wanted to be here. You wanted to be with God's people. That's a good thing, but God ordained it to happen. Um, so you operate, but God is the one who planned every little thing. Um, so it's, it doesn't cancel out free will at all. Um, what's that? Yes. So, so yeah, decree is the plan before time. He planned that you would be here today before he created you. And you, in time and space, made that decision yourself. Um, but it was all according to his plan. Um, so uh, the, the, the providence is the outworking of that. So decree doesn't eliminate free will like providence doesn't either. So I don't know if that's answers your question. It's still, you're still going to be a struggle there, realizing that, because God is in control. Um, but at the same time, we have to see that we are completely responsible for our own uh, sinful actions and choices, too. But God has a, God ordained all those things. Right? Joseph's brothers, they weren't acting because they were robots. They were completely responsible for what they did, yet God used that to accomplish his great plan. Kevin? Right. Who we are, as you say, and Martin Luther certainly wrote a great book, Bonnet and Will. And can it it truly explain that our will is not free? Mm-hmm. And that's that's a hard thing to grasp, but that is God's working in us to draw us to be here today. That's not our will. Yeah. I think we have to define what do we mean by that and are we meaning like a will and to merit? something towards salvation or you know god gives us choices and actions we can do but we're going to choose according to our nature in that sense it's bound you're free to operate in your nature but we're going to only act according to that nature richard do you have something did you have something Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he chooses. Yeah, it's. What's that? It, it looks like it's talking about uh, his brain immutable counts on his own. Yeah. Why does he create? Why does he do all things? Because he purposed to. Yeah, he does what he pleases. Yeah. So that's something you just have to wrestle with, Elijah. Like, it's, it's, it's there. Like, we make choices. I think. You know, you can see we make choices, but we're only going to make choices, like as Kevin said, according to our, our nature. And until God redeems our nature, we're not going to choose what is good and holy and right to please the Lord. And we don't have the power either unless the Spirit makes us alive to do those things. So, But it doesn't override. We're not robots. Um, but And it doesn't negate someone's responsibility for their sin. Um, people are completely responsible 
as we're going to see today, the crowd's responsible, Pilate's responsible. Um, they're all responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, right? But what does the scripture say? That it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So it's out of, he's using all those things as a means to accomplish the, our redemption. So just keep wrestling with it, really. But it's a good question. All right. Let's uh, look at a little bit more. One thing that's helpful to remember here is a creature-creator distinction. Right? Um, God is the creator. He creates his creatures for a purpose. He creates them for an end for which they were created. Ultimately, what's the end? Right? We hear this in uh, the catechisms. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God. Right? And enjoy him forever, right? The chief end, that's the telos, that's the the purpose for which we were created. Um, It's to give God the glory, ultimately. Since the fall has uh, not been uh, detailed yet in our confession as much, to um, one way we we also um, give God the glory is worshiping him. Uh, We can worship him. Adam and Eve could... Uh, give God the glory and worship and have fellowship with him until sin came in the world. Um, and then it was very much distorted. Nevertheless, we, can st- we still have a, a telos, a goal, even after the fall. It's still to, to give God the glory. It's just harder for us to do so apart from our sinful nature. Uh, we need to be redeemed. We need to be made alive to see those things and give God the glory accurately. Um, everything will give God the glory in the end, right? You'll either, you either bow the knee uh, willingly uh, because the Spirit enabled you to do that, or you will, by force, at the end of your life, when Jesus comes again as judge. Let's look at the next point here. Um, It says the causes for God's providence, determining the causes for God's providence. So, so here we could see there's twofold, right? There's God's mind, foreknowledge, we can say, and then his will, right? Uh, according to his infallible knowledge and the free immutable counsel of his will. So his providence works according to his infallible knowledge. That means it, it doesn't err. It's free, so it's not bound by anything in particular. Um, God determined what he will do in an exact way, and in that, in that way it will happen. Right? And so, so we see uh, that God acts in these ways. Let's go back and look at Matthew 10. I skipped over this one, but just to... Be good to go back and look at this one. In Matthew 10, we'll look at verses uh, 29 through 31. And let's read this in light of where we have get, uh, gone before. You know how God governs all things, all creatures, everything. So starting in verse 29. It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you're more value than the sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So again, we see God's providence going back to the, the phrase here, from the least to the greatest. Uh, he governs all things. And go ahead and put your finger in Ephesians 1. And we'll uh, finish up here with Ephesians 1. Let's, again, we're, we're dealing with he, he works according to his infallible knowledge and his free and immutable counsel of his will. So God determined um, how he would orchestrate all things to go to a specific end or goal in mind, and they're going to do so in the exact way he ordained for it to happen or planned for it to happen. Uh, So he has an infallible knowledge, and it's a wise way in which he goes about. So, um, Also, we have the counsel of his will, free and immutable counsel of his will. Um, what what is the counsel of his will? He decides. he decides, yeah. We can understand it as, you know, in light of power and wisdom, going back to the beginning, he has um, an understanding of how he operates and what he's going to do. It's according to his divine uh, will, his free and immutable counsel, his choice. He's not dependent on anything. He's not bound. No one's like holding his arm behind his back, forcing him to make a decision in a certain direction. Um, And this is helpful because free and immutable counsel of his will, we can say, ultimately is pastoral. And it's what I hinted on in the beginning. When we say God is, um, this is implications for for pastoral counsel. you know, we, we, want, we understand, you know, that God ordained all things to happen, that all things will come to pass as he ordained, but in the midst of those things, we have to be wise in how we say those things, right? We need to be wise in how we share that kind of truth in which we mourn, in which we question why God. We see the psalmists talk about why God have you allowed these things to, to happen? Why, where were you? you know, and all these things reminding God of his promises and, the, and the, the believer wrestling with the suffering and the here and now. Yes, we affirm that God does all things according to his free and immutable will. And he ordained all things come, that come to pass. But how we counsel people in the, in the midst of that, um, we can wrestle with these things as, as believers. And that's why it starts off by saying, God is a good God in the midst of these all. Um, in the midst of the hardships that we encounter in life. It's easy to say he's good in the good times, but he's also good even in the hard times, and we can trust him. We can rest in his goodness. And it's easier said than done. Um, it's something that requires faith. Um, and something when we see others going through those hard times, we can pastorally come alongside them as well uh, and encourage them, reminding them of the truths that we can take comfort in God, um, but also sympathizing with them. Um, lastly, so we see God's mind, right? His infallible knowledge. It's free, and, and we also see the counsel of his will, uh, God's will. So this is kind of the determining causes and providence. What makes him do certain things? Well, he has a knowledge, and he has a free and immutable will. And then it ends with this, the goal of providence. To the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. The purpose of providence is what? 
For the glory of God. For the glory of God. In Ephesians 1, you can see that pattern in which God is redeeming. You can see the continual cadence throughout Ephesians to the praise of His glory, right? Um, what, is the, what did the Father do? He elected, uh, He sent His Son, the Son comes to the praise of His glory. Um, as God is executing His decree and time and space, and the Trinity is at work, the, the Son is going out and doing the Father's work, the Spirit's applying it, we see the continual cadence, it's to the praise and the glory of God. Um, and it's through that we see wisdom, we see power, we see justice, we see his infinite goodness and mercy in the midst of his providence. Someone, uh, does someone have a, a Ephesians 1.11? Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Hmm. Works all things to the counsel of his will. Good. So there's a lot of more verses we could go through. And next time I'll, I'll bring up, up some more as well for us. But so because of time, let's go ahead and end there. And we'll look at, uh, I think, two and three uh, next time. So any questions, comments? Teresa? I would agree, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you know, we see that in, in uh, Ephesians there where we see the works of the persons of the Trinity and then uh, the praise according to that counsel in which it works, yeah. I'd agree. Ashlyn, do you have something? I think it is, yeah. It's um, as far as what they're battling in the context. They're using specific words for that time period. And um, whether it's a direct instant in that, um, I think it does have some play because it's definitely an influence there. Um, but we see it within Westminster and Savoy, so it must have been a common thing that they're dealing with. And it's just kind of giving them more boundaries and saying, uh, this is where we are in light of those things. So, yeah, good. Let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll look at the rest next time. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this. And Lord, uh, we recognize that you are good, and uh, that you have worked all things according to your divine counsel, that you've orchestrated a plan, that you're upholding and governing and bringing those about through providence. So it help us in the midst of that, when we deal with the hardships of this life and the struggles and the various aspects where we struggle to see the goodness, Lord, help us to rest in those truths and promises and look to you ultimately, knowing that you do all things for your glory and our good, even though when we may not even see uh, why those, how this could be good in, this, in the, this, the circumstances, Lord. Help us to trust in you and not lean in our own strength. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.